You guys may be seated. I wonder how long you guys would stand up if I didn't tell you to sit down. Well, as I mentioned, Matt is sick this morning, but I have his notes. They were detailed notes, which, yeah, amen to that. And so much of the sermon this morning, I'll be reading directly from his notes, um, and then just wherever the Spirit leads from there. Um, And so bear with me. I might be looking down more than I am looking at you this morning, but we'll try to get through. You can open your Bibles to Isaiah 53, and we'll be looking at verses 10 through 12 this morning. Isaiah 53, verses 10 through 12. And while you're turning there, Matt has an um, illustration from Motyer that is moving. So Motyer paints the picture of a mountain. And as we've had quite a bit of rain lately, we can imagine that on this mountain there's multiple, you know, sources of water. Sometimes it rains and storms, and the rain trickles down. Other times dew falls upon the leaves and the rocks, and those dew um, droplets trickle down. And then maybe there's a river or a stream that travels through the mountain pass, and it comes down. But where does all this water end up? It ends up in the valley. It trickles all down to some body of water somewhere. Little details, Matir says, sprinkled throughout Isaiah's prophecies. You think nothing of them, if you're the original audience, You may think nothing of these prophecies. You may think nothing of Isaiah 53, one of the most often quoted passages in the Old Testament today. But all these little details found their way to the body of water that was the person and work of Jesus Christ. We see these little droplets, and we're able to consider the lake, the ocean, That is Jesus himself. So again, we'll be looking at Isaiah 53, verses 10 through 12 this morning. The theme is the suffering servant walks in God's will and purchases salvation for many. The suffering servant walks in God's will and purchases salvation for many. To understand our theme, we have two points this morning. The plan and the price. Matt definitely wrote the, the points, two Ps, right? But easy to remember, the plan and the price. And so with that, let's read verses 10 through 12 together. Isaiah 53, 10 through 12 reads, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. 
Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Pray with me. And we will begin. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Father, thank you for the preparation that Matt did coming into today. Father, we pray for him that he would recover quickly. We pray for us here this morning that our hearts would be softened, that we would set aside our sin, and even those that know you in here this morning, Father that we would dust off our feet, and that we would come again to worship, that we would come to the table and dine with you this morning. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we get to pray. Amen. So our first point is the plan. And we'll read the beginning of verse 10 again, and you can just listen. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. The prophet provides numerous descriptions of the suffering servant's event, from the physical pain he endured, the mocking, and the rejection. He likewise describes the numerous ways this event brings good to those who initially rejected the servant, but end up embracing and trusting in his work. He describes the forgiveness, the fact that he was a substitute for us, bearing punishment far beyond a mere physical explanation, the peace we now have, healing that is our destiny. All of this paints a glorious, gruesome picture of the atoning work that he came to do. Yet Isaiah doesn't let us forget that the mastermind behind this, the designer of this plan, is God himself. This was always the plan. It is not plan B. Jesus was always going to die. And like a scripted and and choreographed episode of the A-Team, God can proclaim more truly than Hannibal I love it when a plan comes together. God was not puzzled by our sin. He was not surprised, and he was not left to react to the situation as if it was a puzzle piece to fit into his lack of knowledge. Isaiah tells us that it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Another way of reading this is that it pleased the Lord, to crush him. Acts 2.23 says, This Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This was always plan A. And so there's two ways that we must understand the plan. The first is the divine prerogative. I can do just and what I feel, I can do what I want, right? It is my prerogative to 
take, I don't want to give him any ideas, my children to CFA. Anybody know what I'm talking God's chicken. Yeah, he still doesn't know. Good. It is my prerogative to take him there or not. Fair? God has a divine prerogative as well. No one can tell me what to do. It's my prerogative. And there are many who have adopted this same motto for life, claiming to be gods but ignorant to the fact that they will be held accountable by the one true God of their existence, the Lord of their every breath, the one and only true being that has any prerogative in our universe. The triune God, the I am, is the only self-sufficient, self-existent, self-sustaining, independent, the uncaused cause, the eternal Lord over all, King of all creation, is the only one with the prerogative to do as he pleases. You must submit. You have no true prerogative. Any prerogative you have as a parent is merely a reflection of a truer prerogative of the Father. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. And this is supremely evident in the work of the suffering servant. The sending of the Son for the expressed purpose of bearing iniquities is driven first and foremost by God within himself. God sent God to die. It was not something external that compelled God to accomplish redemption. He didn't see Adam and Eve in the garden and, whoops, I got to do something about this. We're potty training Rose, and so you can imagine that there are many instances of oops that we have to react and respond to by cleaning and washing. God was not surprised when we proverbially, or maybe literally, soiled ourselves. He was always going to wash us clean. It was his will. He was pleased to do this. Our second subpoint is divine punishment. It was the Lord's prerogative to punish. The servant is prophesied to be crushed and put to grief. Judgment, oppression, infirmities, stricken, smitten, afflicted, just scratch the surface of this crushing grief that Jesus endured. We cannot comprehend the depths of the suffering endured by the servant. In the next verses, his soul becomes the focal point of his suffering, which speaks to the innermost reaches of what happened on this day the Lord had made. But before we get there, will address the servant's role. There have been some false teachers that conclude that the father's punishment of the son amounted to cosmic child abuse. The audacity of these false teachers. 
Their blasphemous view of the Trinity leads them to think that the Son was merely the object of wrath, a victim in the hands of God, rather than the willing volunteer that he was. Just as Abraham walked Isaac up the mountain to sacrifice him at the top, Isaac knew what they were going to do. We're going to go make a sacrifice, son. But they carried no sheep. Isaac willingly ascended that mountain, offered no struggle against his particularly old father. The son was willing. Matyer better explains the Lord's commitment to his will is matched by the servant's wholehearted involvement. But we can let Jesus speak for himself. In John 10, 18, he says, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Praise God. Get this, the sinlessly perfect Jesus willingly, wholeheartedly, of his own accord, made himself the object of divine punishment, crushed under the wrath of God against our sin. He took the punishment that we deserved. The eternal Lord of life took death for us. That was the plan. And our second point this morning is the price. Read verses 10 through 12 again with me. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul... He shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many in making intercession for the transgressors. As we heard, soul is used three times in our passage. This is the deepest level used to describe a person's life. It's strategic language by Isaiah in reference to the language of Leviticus, wherein a person's whole life and existence is referred to as a soul. The entirety of man, the entirety of your story is your soul. The human soul brings a sacrifice for guilt in the regular practices of the sacrificial system. When we speak of the price, we are referring to the whole glorious person of Jesus given for us. But what did this price pay for? We can look at his accomplishments in verse 10b. He sees his offspring. 
Jesus sees his offspring. He looked and saw the fruit of his labor and the souls purchased by his own. The joy set before Jesus, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame. Matyr says, we stray as sheep, but we return as children. Isn't that good? Matyr's a really good writer, so I want to say it again. We stray as sheep, but we return as children. We've been given the Great Commission. We've been given the church. As the invitation into reproduction of the gospel in others. When one is added to Christ, to the kingdom, heaven rejoices with us. Jesus saw that offspring from the beginning. Jesus prolongs our days. This literally means an extension of earthly life. And I'll read Matt's illustration here. Many of you have prayed for God to prolong the days of loved ones, battling illness as Matt's family is right now for his mother. But this is puzzling, right? Because Jesus died. The servant died. So how can Isaiah speak accurately of prolonged days? Let me remind you this Christmas that we don't worship a dead God, that Jesus died, and then what? He was raised. For good reason, Isaiah doesn't speak directly of the resurrection, but he prophesied of his prolonged days in ways that require Jesus to be raised from the dead. Amen. Jesus prospers God's will. Aside from Jesus, there are endless examples of believers doing the Lord's will, but in the end, they fall to the curse of death. Even Lazarus, who was literally brought back from the dead, died. Can you imagine dying twice? <laughs> Lazarus was a faithful man brought back from the dead, but he still died. Now, Jesus is the one who ensured God's will will succeed. Because as Hebrews 2 tells us, through death, he destroyed the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and delivered all those who, for, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus dethroned death for us. We look at Jesus' experiences in verses 11 through 12. I'll read them again. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. The perspective changes here. Now it is the Lord God speaking of the experiences of the servant. 
He shall see, experience, and be satisfied. Two experiences crucial to his work. All of his life was preparing for this moment. And so we see Jesus experienced knowledge. Without knowledge, he would not have known, as Matyar argues, what needed to be accomplished. And we're taken back to a young earthly life of Jesus when it's said that the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And later, he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. It's hard to grasp that the eternal son subjected himself to learning, and yet it's true. Jesus subjected himself to learning as we do, developing as we do, living as we do, yet doing so all without sin. To mention Rose again, I would love to see what it is to potty train a sinless child. (laughs) But this was Jesus. He didn't just come out of the womb potty trained. He didn't, he was not born and then tell Mary, oh, hey, how are you doing? He had to learn to speak. She had to change his diapers. He had to learn to walk. He had to learn to talk. He learned God's word as we do, though he is God's word himself. He subjected himself. He willingly humbled himself to the lowliest of us, the newborn. The God of all creation humbled himself to be served by those around him. Jesus experienced righteousness. In order to be a saving substitute for others, he must be completely righteous. The lamb is without spot or blemish, the only worthy sacrifice. These experiences further enable him to make many righteous, to bear iniquities sufficiently, and to share his spoils effectively. Jesus made many righteous. It is cause for worship today that the Lord Jesus covered you in his sin-stained guilt and your sin-stained guilt with his own righteousness. We are justified in the sight of God, made righteous by the suffering servant, and yet this righteousness was not universally distributed. It is not automatically all-inclusive. It is only for the many. The instrumental cause, the avenue of our credited righteousness is faith in him. All who repent and believe, all who have faith will be covered in this sin-washing blood of Jesus. Praise God that we can be covered in red blood. And it make us white as snow. Hallelujah. The suffering servant calls you to faith. And Jesus bears our iniquities. Though the order is reversed from the way we normally speak of atonement, he makes us righteous while bearing our iniquities. 
a surplus and a debt cannot exist in the same account. Those of us that have to balance our own checkbooks at home, you cannot be in debt and have a surplus at the same time. Righteousness and sin cannot coexist in the same soul. So while we were becoming the righteousness of God in him, 2 Corinthians 5, he was becoming sin for us. He paid our debt, then gave us his riches. He washed us clean and clothed us in him. He atoned for our sin and then arrayed us in glory. He bore our shame, then gave us his confident assurance. And Jesus shared our spoils, shared his spoils. It doesn't seem fair that he all he accomplished would be divided and shared with others. Imagine winning the lottery and then being forced by law to share it with all of the lottery attempters. I won. My money. <laughs> right? Yet Jesus shares his spoils. But we don't miss, the, don't miss the blessing of this truth. His reward is in no way diminished. In sharing his reward, the inheritance of nations, with us, he raises us up and seats us with himself in the heavenly places. The king of kings makes us royalty. The greatest of all makes us great in the kingdom. The strongest of all makes us strong in him. He receives us as his inheritance. Then we rule and reign with him. The difference here is that he does not split his spoils and arrive with less. He shares his spoils and we all have access to every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He has lost nothing, but we have gained everything. And Jesus intercedes. The price is what drove him to put on flesh, to be wrapped in swaddling clothes, to be laid in the manger. He was numbered among us, counted in the census, truly human, then at the cross, numbered as a transgressor. And by way of intercession, he poured out his soul unto death. And now he ever lives to make intercession for us. The question this morning is, are you counted among the many? Are you counted among those for which Jesus died? Have you repented and believed the gospel? Jesus says of those who are his, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one, no one is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. That includes you, saint. No one is able to escape the hand of the Father. Praise God, because I try to jump often. 
We'll read Isaiah 25, 8 as we conclude. And it'll be on the screen. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people, he will take away from the, all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. Church, this is a blessed hope for all of us who have repented and believed. What you see on the screen is something you can proclaim to yourself, to your spouse, to your friends, to all who you come in contact with this Christmas season. Amen and amen. He swallowed up our death forever. He wipes away tears from all our faces. The Lord has spoken and let all the earth hear his word today. But if you do not know him, if you have not repented and believed, then you stand in very dangerous territory. The reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. You are the reproach of God's people if you have not repented and believed. This verse is a sweet honey to the Christian, but a dangerous sword to those who do not know him. All the reproach of God's people will be removed. And so, if you, sinner, if you, reproacher, even as you have gathered with God's people here today, if you have not repented and believed, if you do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you will be removed on that last day. But praise God. Praise God that even you, even me, this morning, can repent and believe the gospel. That if you do not know Jesus, you truly can know him today. Repent of pursuing your own way. Repent of being your own God and sprint towards Jesus, our Savior. <coughs> Believing that he lived a life that you cannot that he took the punishment for sin that you deserved, that he died. He was raised on the third day that you, even you, can have new life in him. Repent and believe the gospel today. Follow the suffering servant to the cross. Let his shed blood cover you. And no matter what you have done, no matter what blasphemies you have uttered, you too can follow him. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word this morning.